Good morning. Hey, it's always an honor. It's always a privilege uh, to be asked to come and speak at Heritage Church. Uh, it's always an honor. Uh, I want to make sure, um, you know, to honor our pastor and, and, and let you know he's, he's off in, in Cuba doing, uh, doing what he does and proclaiming the gospel in a nation that needs it. Uh, in, in, a, in a region that needs it, to people who need it, to a generation that needs, needs the gospel. So, uh, so we, we continue to pray with him. Uh, but I am, I am always honored. I'm always thankful to be, uh, to be asked to come and speak here. Um, but uh, it's always encouraging, too, for me to be around you guys, right? for me to be around Heritage Church. Uh, Heritage, you, you, it, full of amazing people. I'll always say that. Heritage Church is full of amazing people. You are all amazing people, every single one of you. And if, and if you're new here, you're amazing too, <laughs> right? And, uh, but, but you guys, you already know that because you're here and you're a part of the church. So you know how amazing everyone is around you, and I'm thankful for that. It's always really encouraging to me. Uh, but this morning, uh, let's open our Bibles to the book of Romans. I'm going to speak out of Romans today. Specifically, I'm going to uh, speak out of Romans 6. So if you want to turn there, I'll get there in a second. But Romans 6 is always, has always stood out to me. From the, from the time that I first accepted the Lord, became a Christian, was saved, uh, Romans 6 was something that, that kind jumped of off, jumped off the pages at me. Uh, you know, I, I reading the New Testament, reading, you know, the, the incredibleness, cre- incredibleness of who Jesus is. And I get to Romans 6, and it's like, pow. And, and it always has been. And then, you know, fast forward a, a couple years, I go to Bible college, and one of my first classes that I took was a class called Spiritual Formation. And in that class, one of our main assignments was memorizing Romans 6. So uh, all the, <laughs> I was like, well, great. Uh, you know, all the, 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 the students who had been there for, uh, you know, been there and been through the class were like, oh, man, you know, you got to memorize Romans 6. I'm like, what? great. I'm like, this, I'm, I'm in the right place. I'm in the place. This is the place for me to be. And, uh, you know, everybody else is intimidated. I was excited to do it. My wife got to hear me over and over repeating it. And then she would say, it was an academic assignment, so it had to be word for word. I had to memorize it word for word. And uh, she would sit on the couch as I was reading it. She'd be like, wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> wrong word, wrong word. But, uh, but no, it was great. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful she's here today. My daughter's here. It's, it, I, I, I'm just thankful that, that they're here. But, um. Let me get back. The book of Romans. Let me give you a quick introduction. Romans was written by Paul to the church in Rome. Rome. (laughs) Right? Right, yeah. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reveals to us, the readers, God's judging and saving righteousness that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. An introduction to Romans in one of the study Bibles I read this week states it this way. In the cross of Christ... God judges sin and yet at the same time manifests his saving mercy. This truth is expressed by Paul early in the book of Romans in chapter 3. And Paul says this, starting in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested or shown or revealed or, or exposed to us apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The law he's talking about is the law, the do's and the don'ts, the law of Moses. Do this, don't do this, eat this, don't do this, sprinkle blood here, atone here. So, so the, 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 the righteousness of God has been manifested or shown to us apart from that. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned. 
Sin. We all have sinned. Sin meaning uh, a violation of God's law, of his sovereign law, a violation, a violation of that, whether knowingly or unknowingly, right? Like, I, if, I, if I don't know that murder is wrong and I murder somebody, it's still wrong, yeah. right? We would all agree that murder is wrong regardless if somebody tells me it's wrong or not, mm-hmm. knowingly or unknowingly. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. We are justified, meaning made as if we had never sinned, just as if we had never sinned, by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption, the buying back, there was a price to be paid, and it was paid. So through the redemption, by the buying back, that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. The word propitiation, let me focus on that word, propitiation. In verse 25, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, the ESV. The New International Version of the NIV would say sacrifice of atonement. The New Living Translation says sacrifice for sin. But this means two things simultaneously happen when Christ shed his blood on the cross. First, Christ appeased God's wrath and judgment, allowing for sins to be wiped away. And by doing so, God's judgment was satisfied. This allowed the second thing to happen. His favor turned toward us. On the cross, God's wrath and judgment of sin was satisfied, which allowed his love and favor to be reflected toward us. I was taught it this way. I remember remember my, I think it was a theology class, systematic theology, and I remember learning about, about the cross. And we got to this word, propitiation, and my professor loved the word, so he would taught on it almost a whole class. And it was great. Uh, but he, I remember him teaching it this way. He said, picture Christ on the cross. And God has two bowls in his hand. And he's pouring out one is wrath and one is love. And he's pouring them both out simultaneously. They're hitting Christ and Christ is absorbing the wrath. And the love is being reflected off of him and hitting you. So simultaneously, his wrath and his love were poured out. But we experience the love. Christ absorbed the wrath for us. God judged sin and manifest, manifests his saving mercy. Also in the book of Romans, we get the fullest expression of Paul's theology. Paul explains to us how the gospel reveals the righteousness of God, how God is righteous in his wrath against sin, how God's righteousness saves and how the righteousness of God results in hope by faith. Then we get to chapter 6. That's where we're going to land today. Chapter 6. Chapter 6. Paul explains how the grace of God triumphs over the power of sin. I'll be reading Romans 6. I'm going to read 15 through 23. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, so if you have that, great. If not, it'll be close. But Paul starts off and he says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you, know, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." 
I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus has broken the captivating power of sin. Verses 15 and 16. Paul asks a question earlier in the chapter. He's already asked. Verse 1, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound or that grace may increase or that we may receive more grace? Verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Both of these questions are exploring the same thought from different angles. The question Paul is asking is, since the power of sin over a believer is broken, does that mean the danger of sin is removed? Can I get away with it? Can I continue, to, can I continue in sin since there is no longer a list of rules? Can I continue my sinful ways as a way of increasing the amount of grace I receive? Logically, right? Well, I'm forgiven by grace. If I sin more, more grace. Paul wrote it. That means somebody was thinking it. <laughs> somebody he was addressing, some, somebody thought that. But Paul answers both of these questions in the same way. In the English standard, he says, by no means. Other translations say, certainly not. Far from it. Of course not. Paul uses that question to completely reject the idea that freedom from the old covenant, freedom from the law, gives us the freedom to continue to sin. We do not have that freedom. Sin is dangerous. In verse 16, Paul tells us we become enslaved to it. Now, I need to tell you, the Roman institution of slavery is different than our understanding of North American version of slavery. Right? The Roman institution of slavery was a bondservant. That's what he's referring to. Somebody, if I, if I owe somebody some money, if I, owed, if I owed my wife a sum of money, she owned me until I paid that off. I had to work for her. I had to, to, I couldn't work for anybody else because she owned me. But she would pay me, I could save money, and eventually purchase my freedom. A lot of times they would purchase their freedom, and then they would go, well, I'll just continue to work for you. But they're no longer enslaved to that person. That person no longer owns them. But if your debt wasn't paid, you stayed a slave to your master. Verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Giving into sin increasingly makes us obedient slaves to it. In John 8, Jesus is talking to Pharisees, and he says in verses 31 and 32, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, Jesus is talking here about being freed from sin and being brought into the family of God. 
that, that payment being made and being brought into the family of God. And he continues, verses 34 and 36 of John 8, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Meaning, if the payment's made, you're free. You're now brought into sonship or daughtership. But the debt we owed because of our sin was one we could never repay. We could never do enough work to pay it off. I could never do enough good things to make, to make it right. And the law, the law of Moses proved that. We could never, no one could ever, one person, and, and he's worthy. We've seen him this morning. He's worthy of it all. One person fulfilled that. Yeah. We could never do it. The debt was too big, and we are incapable of doing the work. But thanks be to God. Verses 17 through 19. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. Because God changes our heart, our love for righteousness grows, and we are set free from the sin that once enslaved us. We could never do it. We couldn't do enough to change our hearts. We have to allow God to change our hearts through Jesus. I hear people, other belief systems, other ways of thinking, workspace, are like, hey, like, we act the same. True. We do similar things. But the reason is very, very different. The reason I and we do righteous works is because our heart has been changed. I'm not trying to do enough good works to change my heart myself. Other people do. It may look the same on the outside, but on the inside, it's very different. The debt was too big. The work was too much. But thanks be to God for doing it through Jesus. Jesus paid the debt to our master to sin. That master enslaved us and was leading us to death. He paid the price for our sin, and now we are owned by him. He is our Lord. He is our master. We are slaves of righteousness leading to sanctification. Sanctification meaning Made holy and continually made holy. My heart was sanctified the day I accepted Jesus, but, man, how many years in? A few years. A few years in. It's getting up there. A few years in, I act much different now than I did on day one because I'm more sanctified. Right? And I will continually be sanctified until I get to heaven. Right? And 10 years from now, I'll act different than I did today. Paul uses slavery here as an illustration for us to help us understand what he's talking about. He says in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms. And he is acknowledging the imperfect illustration he uses, but he's using it to communicate something, something very important here. For just as you once presented yourself, your members as slaves to impurity, now present your members as slaves to righteousness. Our actions prove who we belong to and who our master is. Our actions show our allegiance. Who are we aligned with? Who is someone aligned? If you, if you watch someone, you can figure out what motivates them. When we were sinners, we had sinful hearts, and from those hearts, we did sinful things. 
When God changed our hearts, our hearts were sanctified, they were made holy, and we started doing righteous things. We don't sanctify our own hearts just like we don't make our, our, our hearts sinful. I don't have a checklist, a list of rules to prove that you're sinful. Like, hey, if you do this, 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 and this, you're sinful. Just like there's not a list of rules, hey, if you do this, 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 and this, you're righteous. Something happens from here to here. Right? Jesus comes in and he changes my heart. So my, my actions change from here to here. I can't do it. Our actions are the result of the condition of our hearts, who the Lord of our life is. We act like who we serve. It flows out of us. At, at Heritage, we say we are ever-increasing expressions of Christ in our community, in our world. We, 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 we attempt to and we continually try to show the world who Jesus is because that's what flows out of us. We come together, we gather together, we experience his presence, and as we experience his presence, our hearts are changed, and when that flows out of us. We express who he is. Spending time in his presence allows him to remove the captivating power of sin. Verses 20 and 21, Paul revisits this captivating power that sin has to unbelievers, saying, when you were slaves of sin, he's talking to believers. I'm talking to believers. When we were slaves of sin, when you were totally captivated and drawn to sinful desires, you were free from righteousness. Meaning, if you're acting sinful, you're not righteous. Simple. If you're acting righteous, you're not living in sin. Right? Right? If you're living righteous lives, you're not living in sin. If you're living in sin, you're not living in righteous, a righteous life. That's how it works. You are free from righteousness. We were free from righteousness. And here's the part I reflect back and I look at my life and I'm like, man, I was, I was, I was being led to destruction and death. Verse 21, what fruit were you getting from the time, at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? What fruit does sin bring in our lives? Well, if we believe what the Bible says, we can look and we see in Romans 7, 5, we, when we were controlled by our old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. Galatians 6, 8. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The fruit of a sinful life is loss, destruction, and death. If you want a life that is full of loss and destruction and death, let sin be your master. Loneliness, emptiness, a shell of a life. I've heard it referred to as walking dead. The walking dead. Despair, hopelessness. Those are the, those are the fruits of sin. I've experienced it, but I've also experienced the hope. Because there is hope. 
there is good news. Jesus has broken the captivating power of sin. Verses 22 and 23. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Notice it's not the fruit that you earn. It's the fruit that you get is to be made holy, continually made holy, and then eternal life. You have been set free. Jesus has broken the captivating power of sin. The payment has been made, sin has been cut off, and you have been brought near. The propitiation, that dual thing happening on the cross, the sacrifice of atonement, the sacrifice for the sin, has been made. Jesus paid the price. We reap the benefits. Our hearts are changed and our actions prove it. I've, I've heard it say, you can't argue with a changed life. I remember people used to ask me, what's different about you, Jesus? Yeah, but what else? Unless you experience it, you can't understand it. I acted one way, and then all of a sudden I acted a different way. What happened? They would, they would, I, was, I was dating my wife at the time. Well, she wasn't my wife then, but I was dating her. She would be my wife. We knew. But, but people are like, well, maybe, it, maybe it's her. Nope. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. They, they, I mean, if it was her, I would have messed up a long time ago. Nothing, nothing. She's amazing. But she would have let me down long ago. But my life was changed. My actions changed because something happened to my heart. I was set free. We are set free. We are made whole. We have a new status. We're no longer slaves. We're sons and daughters. New status. We're family. We're the family of God. A new destiny. We have a new destiny. Our destination is no longer death. We're no longer afraid of death. Because we know <laughs> past that, that, that initial sting is glory. Our destination is life and life forever. The debt we could never pay has been paid, and it is a gift. It is a gift to us. We can now freely and boldly enter the presence of God. And in his presence there is healing, and in his presence there is hope, and in his presence there is breakthrough. The more we are in the presence of Jesus, the more we long for it. And the more we long for the things of him. <laughs> the more we spend time in the presence of Jesus, the more grotesque the things of sin become. And just the more, the more we, we, we move into sin, there's a sinful side of the stage today. <laughs> But the more, the more, the more, we, the more we, we, we press into sin, the more distant the things of God feel. Right? The more, and, then, and then the guilt and the shame comes, and they're like, man, God can never, nope, nope, just come back. Come back and experience him. Get in his presence. The more we long for him and his things, the less we long for sin. He has broken the captivating power of sin. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mm -hmm. Our actions, our sin, 
our disobedience to God's law is deserving of death. Our actions are deserving, according to his law, death. But thanks be to God. But thanks be to God that he loved us enough to send his son. Christ died for us. He died as us. On the cross, Christ died as Jeremy Young. Christ died on the cross as Jared Zeph. And if I was the only one or he was the only one that, that, ever, that ever accepted that, that reality, he would have done it. That's how much he loves us. That's what he did for us. He took our punishment. He absorbed the wrath that was intended for us and allowed the love to come through and, and, and reflect off of him so we can experience the presence of God through him. And the free gift from that in Christ is eternal life. We don't deserve it, but we're given a gift. And it's a gift that he wants us to enjoy. Like there's one thing, gifts are beautiful and they're wrapped and they're amazing and they're wonderful. And we look at them and we're like, oh, it's so beautiful. But I can't wait to rip that thing open and get what's inside. <laughs> what Jesus did, the gift that we are given, we are supposed to enjoy and live life and live life to its fullest. The life we are able to live now is just a glimpse of what we're able to live, what we're going to live in, 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 in heaven. This is the grace of God. That he loved us enough to, through Jesus, pay our debt, purchase our freedom, break the captivating power of sin in our lives, and bring us to, into his family. We're no longer owned by sin, we're owned by Jesus. Jesus has broken the captivating power of sin. Sin is real. It captivates us, and it's dangerous. It's a trap baited with something that looks good. If you're a hunter, I don't know if traps are legal, probably not, but if traps, and if you put a trap out, you don't bait it with something that's repulsive. You bait it with something that looks really good, and then you cover the trap. And we're drawn to that. We're like, ooh, shiny. And we're stuck. A trap grabs us and we're stuck. Then we need somebody else to come alongside and help us and to pull, pull that trap apart so we can get out. There's nothing good under that bait. If we submit to it, it becomes our master and it destroys us. If we submit to sin, it becomes our master and it destroys us. But Jesus, our champion, defeated sin on the cross. Right? We're getting ready to, to, to celebrate Christmas. Right? And I'm always reminded of superhero movies. My wife loves them way more than I do. I watch them with her, but... Believe it or not, she loves superhero movies, right? And superhero movies, because I'm like, man, they're all the same. They're, don't get mad at me. They're all the same. There's a villain. There's a bad guy. They're running amok. All looks hopeless. All looks lost. And right at the very end, here comes the hero. And the music, right? And everybody's happy. And everybody's like, oh, man, that guy's in trouble because the hero's here. That's what Christmas is. Right, Christmas, you know, Jesus shows up, the heavens open up, right? Angels are singing, they're declaring, they're like, the Savior's here, he's here, he's going to deal with sin. The Savior of the world is here, he's going to save you from your sins. That's Christmas. You're welcome. 
Every superhero movie you watch, you can be like, oh, man, Christmas. <laughs> Jesus has broken the captivating power of sin. This is a gift. It's a gift to be received freely. And I got to ask you, I have to ask you, have you received this gift? Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Has he freed the captivating power? Has he demolished? Has he, has he set you free from the captivating power of sin? I like to ask, are you a Christian? If not, you should be. Yeah. That question was asked to me. I just keep asking it. That's how the Lord spoke to me. Are you a Christian? If not, you should be. If you're a Christian, if you if you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're struggling, get in his presence. Get in his presence. Allow him to work on your heart. Allow him to remove that captivating power of whatever you're struggling with. Replace that thing with him. The more you're in his presence, the more you desire it, and the less you desire sin. Here in your presence, we are undone. Here in your presence, heaven and earth become. set this apart. If you need to get in the presence of God, let's do it. Let's do it. We're going to set this, this we're going to set down here this this lower area apart for prayer and for people to come if you if you need if you're struggling with something and you need to be in the presence of God or if you've never been in the presence of God and you have no idea what I'm talking about but you can feel it, come. Yes. Come. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to we'd love to be with you as you accept the Lord as your savior. But for the rest of you, I'm going to pray. You're free to go. Make sure you get your kids, but, but, but let's keep this down here. <laughs> let's keep this down here set apart, holy in the presence of our God. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you that you, you sent your son. God, we thank you that you sent your son to break the power of sin in our lives. Lord, we're thankful for it. We love you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, have a great week. We love you. We'll see you. If you need prayer, please come. We'd be happy to pray with you. Here in your prayer.